You know, the title of the sermon today is Love Not the World. And I want to start out by saying that I don't know if I'm going to be able to communicate the things that are on my heart with this message. I have no idea if that's going to actually be able to happen because the things that I see, that I picture in my mind are so much larger than, than, than words can convey. And so I'm hoping that you can kind of put on glasses that go beyond what I say, go beyond the words that are spoken here and see kind of what we're pointing towards. And um, I'm hoping that that will happen. Um, this morning in, on Facebook, I uh, saw a friend of mine posted this statement, and I think it's very apropos, especially given the time and circumstances that we're living in. With COVID-19, we can't even gather together for, for a church service, which is, uh, I kind of feel like we're in a, in a hostile country or something, but uh, thankfully this is temporary. Pray that this will be temporary, but it kind of gives us a taste of what our brothers and sisters in those countries might be dealing with on a, on a regular basis. I know in China, they're not able to meet together. In fact, I've heard stories that they're even being arrested for doing what we're doing today, having digital Zoom-based um, church. People are being arrested for that. Uh, so pray, we're getting a little taste and let's press forward. The church is not a building. The church is you and me. The church is God's church and its people. But I read this this morning, and it's kind of a, a good uh, springboard into the discussion that I want to have today. We have a lot to cover. I'm hoping we can get through at least part of it. <laughs> in a world of bailouts for banks and billionaires in which small businesses are left to struggle, in a world where wealth buys protective gear and gets you tests, but those in poverty are dying alone, in a world in which right sometimes is sometimes punished while wrong is rewarded. Justice is coming. In a world with increased government control, disappearing freedoms, and deplatforming of free speech, freedom is coming. In a world in which we love to hate and fear to love. In a world with social media but social distancing, with virtual lovers and anonymous haters, love <laughs> is coming. No politician or political party, no media outlet or social star, no me medical doctor or pharmacist can answer these cries. Behold, I come quickly is the only hope and good news we can count on to answer our real and deepest needs. Justice, freedom, and love is coming. And I'm hoping during this time, this time we have together, we can see that it's this freedom, this, this Christ come is, can happen Today can happen right now, and it's God's will for us today. We're going to start out, you know this verse very well, love not the world, uh, neither the things are in the world. What's interesting about that verse is that in another part of what John wrote, John wrote, for God so loved the world. He says, love not the world, and then he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So where is this? We're going to unravel some of these things, but we want to start out with the Lord's Prayer. We're asking for God to come. And sometimes that request for his second coming, for soon second coming, is a selfish request. I'm tired of dealing with all the stress in my life. I'm tired of dealing with all the evil in this world. Lord, please come and get me out of this mess. But what about all the people that, are, that don't know who they are? They don't know who Christ is. They don't have a solution for the mess that they themselves are causing. They don't have a way to get out of it. Well, you, you saw the in the... Um, um, spot, mission Spotlight this morning, a young lady who was in the slum and she was trapped in this lifestyle of, of self-destruction and evil and she knew that she was doing the wrong things and it was destructive, but there was no one that, that was there to help her. She, she looked around, there's nobody to help her. Millions, billions are in the same position today. Now is our safety, is our salvation in, in leaving this place or entering into reaching out to others during this time. Where is our salvation? Jesus himself says, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. If you seek to protect yourself in this life, if you look for a survival plan to get through this life as, with as little as trouble as possible, Jesus defines that as losing your life. But if you lose your life, if you throw your life into the sorrow, into the furrow of, of human woe, if you lose your life for my sake, not for the sake of riches, not for the sake of fame or wealth or comfort, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, 
Of course, his heart is with those that are suffering in the world without knowing who their God is, who their true Father is. If you lose your life for his sake and for that sake, for that purpose, you will find it. And that life that you find in that way is amazing. And even if you die doing that, you have eternal life. So it's a win-win. So we're going to look at that today. The Lord's Prayer. You know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, I believe it seems as though the entire Bible, the entire, all the Bible, the entire Bible was written for the purpose of bringing us into the position where we know that God in heaven is our Father. Once we understand that, and what kind of father he is, that he's a good father. He's a perfect father. He treats us better than we can even imagine being treated. The whole Bible moves us into that position. And Jesus keeps saying that, our father, your father and my father, my father and your father. Um, Jesus loves the father with a love that is beyond description. And Okay, so our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is his name. Reverend, reverented is his name in our lives. Um, thy kingdom come. Okay? So this is our job. This is our assignment, is to bring the kingdom of heaven into this kingdom of earth. To bring heaven into earth. Mrs. White says in Desire of Ages, page 331, that heaven begins here. So we don't have to wait until the future time when Jesus brings us to a physical place. Heaven begins here. And what is heaven? She defines it as this. Heaven is the ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. Okay? That is the experience of heaven. Being in heaven is being in God's presence through Christ. That's heaven. And, and so God is trying to get heaven into us you know, we weren't saved to, just to go to heaven. <laughs> God, we are trying, you know, we, we want to get saved so that we can go to heaven when God is trying to get heaven into us. You know, a lot of times if God would take us straight to heaven, we wouldn't be safe in heaven. And a lot of times we wouldn't really enjoy heaven because it's going to be different a lot of times than what a lot of people think. Up there is righteousness and beauty and peace. And it's ruled by the self-sacrificing love, caring for others. And if we don't have that principle in our lives today, if we have not tasted that and dwelled upon it and, and brought it into our lives today, then heaven is not going to be an enjoyable place. So heaven, remember, heaven begins here. Heaven begins right now. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Thy kingdom come. That's our assignment. When we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, that means it's, it's his will. What is in heaven? In heaven, there's no pain. There's no injustice. There's no hunger. There's no lack. <laughs> and there's lots of love. That is our job, to bring that culture into this environment, whatever situation we come in contact with to bring heaven's values, heaven's, heaven's experience, heaven's thoughts, heaven's culture into that situation. So if we see somebody that's being abused, heaven's culture would be to rescue that person. If we see somebody that's hungry, heaven's culture is to supply the need because there's no need in heaven. There's no lack in heaven. This is the prayer that God has, is, is, has given us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's our job, is to come as emissaries of the kingdom, of another world, of another, of another realm, of another a kingdom, king's domain, the, the king's domain, to bring that kingdom, that government, into the situations that we meet. And the rest of the Lord's Prayer is a working out, a detailing of that. Give us this day our daily bread. That's God's will. God's will is to give us our daily bread, is to supply the needs. He's the Father. That's his nature. That's his nature. Now I want to move on. We have a lot to cover. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to be reading out of the uh, Passion Translation because this is an amazing concept. This is an amazing concept. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. 
Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. You've heard that statement, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. I used to not be able to understand what that meant. That means that somehow I have to crucify myself like Christ did. No, this is saying I am crucified with Christ. When was Christ crucified? He was crucified 2,000 years ago. Is that a fact? That's an absolute fact. So then therefore, by faith, I can see that I have been crucified with Christ. We accept that not as a hope that that's going to happen. Christ is not going to be crucified again. We see that as a done deal. It's a fact. Christ was crucified. When I accept him by faith, then God takes my sin nature and takes me and he's crucified with Christ on the cross. That's the symbology of a, bat, a burial baptism, un, you know, full immersion baptism. But not only that, let's keep reading. Verse, uh, still in uh, Colossians 3.1. This is why, this is why, okay, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. So if we are, if we die with Christ, then we are resurrected with Christ. Now, I just had one of the most amazing experiences of my life uh, just a few weeks ago. Just, actually, I was in Israel on the way back from India, spent a few days in Israel. I got to go to some places that I'd heard about my whole life. Uh, Nain, the town of Nain, village of Nain. I got to go there, Mount of Transfiguration. I spent the night sleeping in Nazareth. I got to touch the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I slept in a youth hostel in uh, the old city of Jerusalem. I hung out. I was only supposed. To, I was only going to go for 20 minutes to the top of Mount uh, 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 Mount of Olives, but just the heaviness, just the the emotion of being in that place. I, I was stuck there for two and a half hours, just processing through. Man, what took place here? And just wow, you know, this was Jerusalem. This was Jesus' chosen people. This was G Jesus' chosen place, and yet they rejected him. It's like their blood runs through my veins. I could be the most blessed Adventist Christian in the world, and yet I could still reject Christ. And it's like, I, I, Lord, save me. I don't want to go down that road. And I was just dealing through that. Then I started to realize, you know what? A little more than a thousand years from now, we're coming back here. And Jesus' plan is to bring us with him. I don't... Do not want to miss that place. But at the very last day that I was there, actually the, the day before I flew out, I went to the Garden of the Tomb, which is, it's, um, it's an amazing place. It's very simple, and there's a hole in the rock, and it's empty. That, I don't believe that that is specifically Jesus' tomb right there, but I do believe that that was nearby. They've got it very, very close. Um, and while I was there, it was raining and cold, <laughs> and so no other tourists were there. Well, they, a big group had just gone through, so I got to stay in, in the tomb where Jesus, nearby at least, possibly he, he could have been right there, so I got to be in the tomb where Jesus was raised from the dead, and it just the emotion just came over me, and I just bawled like a bee. I had to go find a quiet spot, a, a quiet, you know, private spot, and I just cried for like a half hour because it's like everywhere else in the world you've got gravity at work, the gravity of sin and death. But right there, you had a power that overcame gravity, overcame death, and it, everything went up. And that power, that resurrection power, is not, not just, it hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in each one of us. That's like, whoa, that's a lot of power. That life power, that life-giving power, that intelligent, that could take God and put him in the womb of a woman and carry him throughout the whole world without a stain on him. And then after he dies, raise him back from the dead. That same power is in each one of us. It's like, wow, what in the experience of God, what does God have for us in experiencing Him 
that we have not yet tasted. If we have that kind of power, why are we not walking in that power? And that's not a condemnation kind of thing. I want to turn it around. It's like say, okay, so what is available for us to walk in if we have that kind of power living in us? And Jesus talks a lot about that. Okay, still in Colossians 3.1. <laughs> this is why we are to yearn for all that is above. Why? Because we are resurrected with Christ. And where is Christ? He's in heaven. So where are we? With Christ in heaven by faith. This is why, Colossians 3, the Passion Translation, why we are to yearn for all that is above. Now we, have, we see people yearning for all that is here. We see people yearning for a nicer car, a bigger house, something a little more comfortable. But what are we missing with what is above? What do we have in the heavenly realms? What is up there? Not just for the future, not just a mansion. I mean, I'm looking forward to that, seriously. But what is available to us now? If heaven begins here, what are we missing in our experience with Christ? For that's where Christ sits enthroned, at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Now, if we are seated with Christ in a seat, in a place of all power, honor, authority, do we have any resistance to our prayers? Is there any resistance in God to our prayers? Let's go on to Col Colossians 3, verse 2, the next verse. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. We see all kinds of distractions all over the place. Our hearts are filled with with this person said this about the coronavirus and this person has this theory about the coronavirus and this person has this theory about North Korea and China and all these different places. It's all these theories and we're caught up in all that, but what about the treasures of the heavenly realm? We're so earthly oriented that we don't have the power to bring heaven into these situations. So what's the solution? It's, the solution is given, of course, in the Laodicean message. I stand at the door and knock. If anybody just opens the door, lets me spend time with them. You know, that's one of the hardest verses for me because it's like he just wants to come in and sit. We're not going to go save the world. He just wants to come sit with me and talk and, like, eat. Uh, that's kind of an anticlimax, you know? Here Jesus is, is, is facing one of the biggest problems he's ever faced in his church, Laodicea, lukewarm mixing with the world, mixing with the truth. And this is the solution he has? It should be something spectacular. Go climb Mount Everest <laughs> and you'll be closer to me. Go tame the oceans with, all by yourself in a sailing boat and you'll be close. No, it's just come, let me come in and spend time with you. Maybe that solution is more dramatic than we think. Maybe that spending time with him has more, will ha would have more impact than we have ever experienced before in our Christian experience. Now, I'm speaking this particular sermon and the things I'm trying to share. A couple years ago, I started to realize that I kind of had my Christian experience on autopilot. You know, I went to church every Sabbath, had my own ministry, you know, saving people on the other side of the world. Everything was going great. I thought I didn't really need to read the Bible very much because I'm doing pretty good. I look around and, you know, doing better than a lot of Christians. <laughs> and um, it wasn't until I started to start to see some of the emptiness that I had in my life. When I come into a situation, I didn't have the faith, I didn't have the power. And I started to see people out there that had faith and God would work for them, work miracles for them. So I started to develop a hunger for God, for Him, not just for a formula of how to be a better Christian or a formula of how to have Christ in your life or how to have salvation, but Him, truly Him. Him moving in my life in the ways that He moved in Jesus' life. And some of the verses that Jesus said really threw me off. Like, 
the works that I, shall, that I do, you will do. And greater. I'm like, hello? Do I even know anybody that believes that? That walks in that? And start, so this hunger started to develop for, for, for God, for really, for really, really God. And this is, when I look back at my life, the times that I had the greatest happiness and in, in joy in my life was when I, when I, had, when I was doing this, and uh, it says in Colossians 3.2, feasting on the treasures of the heavenly realm. What are the treasures of the heavenly realm? We have peace. People like peace, joy. People like joy. Everybody wants to be happy. Love. Everybody wants to be loved. These are the treasures of the heavenly realm. And fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. Now, I was at a place, and I, I kind of hate to admit this, but I was born in the church, grew up in the church, knew the Bible, I read the Bible, and I, was, I spent quite a bit of my saved life with this attitude is like, yeah, I've read the Bible. There's not that much exciting there that I haven't heard before. And so I wasn't like enamored. I, I wasn't feeding on the word because I'd already read it. What I didn't realize was that there's so much more in the text than the first time I read it or the thousandth time that I read it. This text is so deep and so amazing. It's a living text. It's a living word. So feast on the heavenly treasures. Your, cruci your crucifixion with Christ, verse 3, Colossians 3.3, 3, your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And now your true life is a hidden away in God, in Christ. That's powerful. That's powerful. You know, when, um, when things start to happen in the world and I start to feel some anxiety or some stress or something like that, you know what that tells me? It tells me I'm still tied to this life. Maybe I get in a situation that might be dangerous and I start to pull away. Maybe that tells me that I'm still tied to this life. Maybe I'm searching. I, 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 I realize I wake up in the morning or sometime during the day, and I make a decision based on comfort rather than God's kingdom, maybe I'm still tied to this life. But the fact is, I'm not tied to this life <laughs> because the Word says it, okay? Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And so if I wake up to that reality, to that fact, then I can make a decision based on the fact that I am not tied to this life. If I die doing God's will, praise God, we have eternal life. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. This isn't future tense. This is now tense. How do we realize this? By faith. By faith and by feasting on the things from above. All, this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. All that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. That's a crazy powerful concept. As all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. <clears throat> okay, I tell you this time, is, uh, we're going to John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these, because I go to be with my Father. Now, if that wasn't in the Bible, I would never believe that. In fact, even though it's in the Bible, it's really hard to believe. But it's there. I can't, I can't say that it's not true because it's in the Bible. We just had our lesson study this morning in Sabbath school talking about the validity of the Bible. 
The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do. Jesus is our example in all things. Jesus' life is our true identity. That's who we truly are. Next verse. Okay, for I will do whatever you ask me to do. Oh, yeah, uh, when you ask me in my name. Next verse. And that is how the Son will show what the Father is really like and bring glory to him. So it's in doing the works of Christ that we show what the Father is really like to the world. And then I'm going to, it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But it also says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We're going to do a little word study on this word world. <laughs> and we got a lot of stuff going to, to go on here, but um, there's three and a half definitions of the word world. <laughs> so definition two has two parts. It's like the main definition, then an extension. That's what we're really going for. The word that John, now John was the main one that used this concept of the world, the, you know, love not the world, if any man loves the world, you know, and God so loved the world. And so the concept of world is mainly found in Judge, but it's, it's in other places as, as well. But the first definition of the world is a material universe, the round world, the earth. In other words, the ground that we walk on. You find this in Acts 17, 14, the God that made the world and all things therein, the foundation of the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him. So it's this physical thing. Go ye into all the world. It's a geographical command. Okay. The second definition is the inhabitants of the world. John 1.10, the world knew him not. God so loved the world, John 3.16. John 12.19, the world has gone after him. So the people of the world, 17.21, that the world may believe. So the second definition is the people in the world. The extension to that definition is the whole, it talks about the whole race of men alienated from God and thus hostile to the cause of Christ. Now, you may be wondering where I'm getting this information um, it's a book called Love Not the World by Watchman Nee. He's a Chinese believer, lived a long time ago. He's a martyr, an amazing life, amazing story. I love the book. This book is so seminal to my faith and to my ministry that I put it up on the website, on, a web, on the web, uh, lovenot.org. So if you, I encourage you to go read through it because we're just kind of touching the surface here but the whole race of men alienated from God and thus hostile. So there's more, more than just physical people. There's people that are at odds with Christ. For instance, Hebrews 11:38, of whom the world was not worthy. John 14, 17, whom the world cannot receive. 14, 27, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And if the world hateth you, yeah, if the world hateth me, it hateth you. Uh, then, now the third definition is this whole circle of worldly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, which though hollow and fleeting, stir our desire and seduce us from God, so that they are obstacles to the cause of God. So we see things in the world that draw us away from God, okay? Like, for instance, 1 John 2.15, the things that are in the world, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. John, 1 John 3.17, the world's goods. Uh, Matthew 16, 26, what profit, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and forfeit his life? So this is a powerful thing that pulls us away from God. It's the world's goods. Okay. Yes. Okay, so continuing with this definition, the whole circle of worldly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, which though hollow and fleeting, uh, stir our desire and seduce us from God so that they are obstacles to the cause of Christ. Okay, so we've, that didn't move forward. Okay, so in this world, we see the evidence of a planned system, an orderly system that is the dominion of the world. We see a system that works and functions together to make the world, quotes, go round, okay? And in that system, we detect a mind behind the system. 
the prince of this world, okay, uh, is mentioned, this, this term is used, the prince of this world, the, rulers, the ruler of this world, in John 12, 31, 14, 30, 16, 11. So we see a mind, there's a mind, there's a mind behind the order of the system that we see in the world that's set at odd against God and its aim is to entrap us and to develop a secondary system or a second kingdom that we can live without God. It's a much more sophisticated Tower of Babel. And the, okay, this is coming from 1 John 5.19. This is our insight into this world and who's developed it and controlling it. The whole world lieth in the evil one. This entire system is in the mastermind of Satan. So Satan has developed this entire system whereby we normally live. Okay? The world order is hostile to God. You can see this, 1 Corinthians 1.21, the world knew not God. The world hated Christ, John 15.18. The world cannot receive the spirit of truth, John 14.17. John 7.7, 7, Jesus says its works are evil. Okay? And the friendship of the world is, is enmity with God. So the world is against the service of God. The world cannot serve God, cannot even receive the truth or the love of God. So you've got this entire system that's developing or that's ha that has been developed that is hostile to the Lord. Jesus says of it, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this kingdom. This world's kingdom, it's not my kingdom. I can't reform it. I can't change it. I can call people out of it into a different kingdom, the kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus, praise God, has overcome the world. The accusation has been up until all the way that 4,000 years, up until when Jesus died on the cross, the accusation has been you can't get out of this system. You cannot escape this system. Jesus escaped it, and he gives us the path. The victory that hath overcome the world is our faith in him. He is our substitute. He is our example. Okay. And I'm going to just, I just copied this paragraph right out of his book. There is then an ordered system, the world, which is governed from behind the scenes by a ruler, Satan, when, in John 12, 31, Jesus states that the sentence of judgment has been passed upon this world, he does not mean that the material world or its inhabitants are judged. For them, judgment is yet to come. What is there judged is that institution, that harmonious world order of which Satan himself is the originator and head. And ultimately, as Jesus' words make clear, it is he, the prince of this world, who has been judged, and he is to be dethroned and cast out forever. So this world system has already been judged. It was judged at Jesus' death. So the world as we see it, the systems of the world are going down. It's like the Titanic. Okay? Ship is tilting. It's been judged as not worthy. We see this image in Daniel chapter 2. God doesn't come in and reform the statue. He doesn't make it better. He destroys it. And in its place sets up a new kingdom, his kingdom, filled with life, love, no more pain, no more sorrow, all that stuff. And so as we look out, we see this world system, and I'm going to try to kind of go through a little bit of it I'm hoping that you'll read the book and develop it a little bit more. But the world system includes its systems of, of rewards. You know, you, you, you pass through a few hoops, you get a reward. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> 
going to think, I think of an example, a TV show, that, but I don't want to spend time there. But the rewards, like for instance, you, you do this effort and then you get this reward. You work for this many hours and you get paid. You get this education, you get a good job where you get more pay. You do these things so that you can get that. The kingdom of God isn't like that. In the kingdom of God, you're given everything to begin with. In this kingdom, if my toilet is broken, I call the plumber. I say, hey, yeah, uh, my toilet's broken. Can you come out? And he will say, this will cost you $85 an hour for me to come out. Okay, that's why he's doing that. Okay, in general, this is the world system. In heaven, do you see that happening? I don't imagine our toilets will be broken in heaven. But if we have a need, if we have something that needs to be done, well, I don't know if you call anybody, but somebody will come over. Man, I got more than I need. I'll help you out because I love you. Okay? So in this world system, it's all about what can I get? I'll help you if I can get something for me. Okay? If we took all the paychecks away from you know, Monday morning, we knew that if we went to work, we wouldn't get paid. I'd say 99% of us probably wouldn't go to work. Because that's why we go to work. I put up with all this so that I can get the reward. But in heaven's system, he gives us the reward up front. And then out of that overflow, we're like, wow, I want to go help them. I want to go help somebody else. Out of that love, this is the system that God operates in. What's an example? Example that I see of God's system working is when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt and he took them through the Negev desert and they lived in the desert, several million people, for 40 years. They didn't plant a garden because nothing grows there. They didn't go get jobs because there are no jobs there. They hung out in the wilderness for 40 years and they came out on the other side in better health, in better condition than when they went in. That's the kind of God we serve. Today, it's very hard to come out of the world system. It's very difficult. One of the biggest challenges of coming out of the world system is how am I going to survive? You know, I need, I, you know, there's a lot of things there. I need medical insurance. But then you look at what God can do, and he took the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years without medical insurance. But they came out without a single one unhealthy. It's better to not get sick than to get sick and have somebody else pay for it. That's what God gives us. That's what God gives us. And, and you say, well, that's impossible. It's not impossible. There's nothing impossible with God. I went through a lot of these concepts when we started our ministry 15 years ago now. We ha I had a, a job, not a really good-paying job, but I had a job. It was secure. I was teaching at PUC. And then I felt God calling us to start a new ministry step out by faith no income no equity no money nothing God called us out and I started to have to say do I really trust God do I really trust him I, I, I know that he saved me I know that he's forgiven my sins but do I trust him enough to know that he will take care of not only me what I need to eat but my wife my children Will he take care of them? And my testimony after 15 years is like, wow, yeah, he, no problem. When we seek his kingdom first, he will really seriously add all this stuff to us. And so if our job is to seek to bring the kingdom of God into this earth, there's really nothing stopping us. I want to bring up another passage, you know, 
this is something that I think we really need to wrestle with in our own lives personally. Because soon, we know that there's going to be a time coming that no man might buy or sell unless you get the mark of the beast or the number of his name. So everybody's going to be put to this test. Everybody's going to have this test. Do you really trust God? Or do you want to hang on to this world, this system in this world? Okay, I see this system that, that Satan has, has organized in the world uh, as a way that he's gathering everybody to the great battle of Armageddon. You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I believe God. It's another thing to say, I believe God if I can't eat because of that statement. If I can't feed my family because of that statement. That's a test. And, it's, and right now is a really good time to test God, to develop our faith. Not just in spiritual things, in practical things, in really practical things. Uh, Jesus says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Have you ever, have you ever had those concerns? How will I survive? How will I live? Jesus says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. So maybe we could check our status of whether we're a believer or whether we're an unbeliever if we worry and put our thought and put our time and put our effort into, into making sure we can put food on the table. So if we're going to school, I mean, how many years do we spend going to school so that we can get a job, so that we can put food on the table? <laughs> and that's our focus. Are we unbelievers? Seems as though we are. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. In other words, God knows you need these things. It's not saying you don't have to eat. It's not saying that you don't have to wear anything or have a place. He's saying we have a heavenly Father that can take care of all these things. So therefore, seek the kingdom of God above all these things. You may get an education. That education should serve your main purpose, not of finding food to eat, God's promised you that, but of taking the kingdom into the world. Okay? So maybe you can be more effective in God's kingdom as a nurse than as a non-nurse, I don't know. <laughs> because God has need for every kind of labor, every kind of, the biggest need is he, that he has is for somebody that is willing to be learned, uh, taught, <laughs> willing to learn. <laughs> but seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Imagine if my son like was three years old and he came to me and says, Dad, I need to get a job. Why do you need a job, son? Because I don't know if you're going to feed me tomorrow. I take that as an insult. <laughs> Our God can take care of us. I believe that this people in Revelation 12 that says they love not their lives unto death, that was because they found something better. They found something better than this life. They found something better than life. That, of course, was Jesus. Therefore, rejoice. This idea of they love not their lives unto death, I used to see that as kind of like, oh, you know, I got, that's kind of scary. I got to love, I got to give up my life, and, and then what am I left with? What, what do I have? Not, you know, that was before I met Jesus. And now it's like, wow, I'd much rather have life without Christ. It's not really worth living. Well, it's not, not that it's not really worth, it isn't worth living. It isn't living at all. Christ is better than, than life. So they love not their lives unto death. These are people that had their eyes open, that opened their eyes and saw who Christ is and saw who they are in Christ. Okay. Let's continue reading this, this verse. Love not the world, 
Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, this is the reason, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's a long time. But it's not just length of time, but it's quality of time. Because God is super happy and being in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's huge. I don't see this world having pleasures forevermore. I see this world having pleasures that kind of grow old. They're kind of pleasurable for a few minutes and then it's gone. And then you're looking for another one, something a little bit more intense, something a little bit more stimulative. And then that one's gone. And then you look for something else. And then you're always looking for something more. The, one of the wealthiest men in the world is an anecdotal um, story. Um, he's super, super rich. He was, wasn't happy. So somebody asked him, how much money do you need to be happy? You know what his response was? <laughs> Just a little bit more. That is, that's the fallacy of this world system. The more you have, the more you want. In fact, Mrs. White makes this interesting statement. She says, the deceitfulness of riches is that the more you have, the less you feel you have. That's why when we go traveling to these different countries, and you know, we've, met, we've met people that live on $35 a month. You come over to their house, they just give everything, their best food, their best bed, they give everything to you because you're their guest. And you come here to America, we've got all this stuff, it's hard to find a place to sleep unless you pay for it yourself. So the deceitfulness of, of riches is the more you have, the less you feel you have. How do I not love the world? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to love the world. I see the world is passing away. It's temporary. And even the, the, the pleasures that it has while it's here are not satisfying. How do I not love? I don't want to love the world, but how do I do that? It's very, very simple. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. And it all comes down to this one song, this one hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim, dim <laughs> in the light of his glory and grace. Wow. That's the key. That is the key, brothers and sisters. Right now, that is the key. And so I want to challenge us as a church family to try this. You know, I'm really nervous actually because we have taken the identity of Laodicean for so long that it doesn't even bother us. It's like we can say, yeah, we're Laodicean church. Okay, well that's too bad. Maybe someday Maybe someday when the Holy Spirit comes and latter rain power, it'll get us out of our rut. I've actually heard a lot of people say, we need a little persecution to wake us up. God, please, don't resort. Don't <laughs> Why does he have to resort to that? We have the love of Christ to encourage us. We have the arms of of Christ open wide to welcome us into his presence where there's fullness of joy. That's not just fullness of joy, not just pleasure as the world gives it, but it's the kind of joy that you just, that just recreates your entire being. That just, that just gives you a hunger, that gives you a satisfaction that you never even knew was ever possible. Man, I wasn't converted till I was 33. And I tried all this stuff. I tried lots. I mean, not, I wasn't, I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't go into drugs. 
So that may be a thing. But people that I've talked to that have, it's not a thing. <laughs> but I tried everything else, and, and it was fleeting. First taste I had of Christ. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. The feeling of being in his presence. When he touches you, it's amazing. It's better than anything else out there. Jesus Christ is better than anything else in the entire universe. It's a better experience. It's a better pleasure. It's a better feasting. It's better. It's just better. He is he's the best. So the challenge that I want to bring to our church, to you individually, is to take what God says and do it. He says, open the door. I will come into him and I will hang out with him. We'll chill. Okay? So what does that look like? It looks like, and I've been experimenting with this for the last year, and it's wonderful. And so I'm just sharing this with you so that you can experience it too. Many of you probably already are. You, many of you are way beyond me, way ahead of me. But I want to challenge you, us as a church, to this next week, tithe our time. Let's take 10% of our time. In addition to Sabbath, you know, a normal day is 24 hours. 10% of that is two and a half hours. Take two and a half hours every day and dedicate it to feasting on the heavenly things. Okay? What does that look like? For me, I, um, I have this Bible app. I read through the Bible. It's amazing. I also, because I, I'm super lazy, I got the audio Bible in several different versions. So when I'm driving, you're not supposed to read when you're driving anyway. When I'm driving, I put in my headphones, I listen to the Bible, I think about the Bible. In the morning, first thing I do, I'm still training myself to do this, is to ignore my messages. You gotta pray for me, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm weak on that point. <laughs> put, a, put aside my message, I go straight to the Word of God. God, I need you today. Now, there's something that is really important that's helped me a lot is that we're not doing this so that we can gain God's favor. We're actually doing this because we have God's favor. You know, I used to, you know, my, my honest heart is that I would, even if I had a wonderful worship the night before, I'd wake up feeling a million miles from God, that he didn't appreciate me, that he didn't accept me, and that I had to fight my way back to God. That's a lie of the devil. A lot of times we have a misconception of how God sees us. We think that he's upset with the things that we have done. That we're not, that he's not really happy, that he's kind of tolerant of us. He's hoping we'll do better. The truth is, that he's well pleased with us. And you say, well, where do you find that? When Jesus came out of the water at his baptism and the heavens opened up and the dove came down, Father in heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He said that to a human took on our flesh and blood. He said that to him. And then we have Mrs. White that says, he encompassed all humanity in that statement. She also says that we don't have to worry about how God sees us. We just have to worry about how God sees Jesus, our substitute. So in Christ, we're fully accepted. Fully accepted. There is no rejection in the throne room of God. There's no rejection there. I struggled with rejection all my life. And when I realized that that rejection that I felt from God was a lie and that God never had any rejection attitudes towards me. He's thought about me. He's had so many thoughts about me and about you. They, they're more numerous than the sands of the seas. 
That's a lot of thoughts. He's been thinking about you a long time. Not one of them was a thought of, I got to get this guy out of here. <laughs> Not one of them was a thought of rejection. In fact, in, oh, I keep forgetting the verse. It's something like 1 Corinthians 13 something where it says that he does not impute the sins of the world against them. In other words, he doesn't hold our sins against us. So if we come to him, sinful as we are, we got to come to him. It's like the little boy that falls in the mud puddle. He doesn't run away from mommy. He doesn't, you know, his mommy doesn't say, hey, you go clean yourself up. When you're clean, I'll give you a hug. No, she comes and mommy's the, Mommy's the source of the cleaning. Mommy's the solution to being dirty. And so <laughs> Christ is the solution to all of our problems, to all of our sin problems. So if we see him as, if we see how he sees us, it's an open door. It's an open door. And we can come to him and his goodness leads us to repentance. We don't repent so that we can come to him. We come to him and he works out the repentance in us. When I see his, he loves me in spite of the way I've treated him. Lord, thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for cleansing. Now continue to cleanse and live out your life within me. Seek those things which are above. Where you anchor your mind is where your affections are. Where your affections are is the reality you live in as well as the reality you live from. So if we see who we really are, if we see who Christ really, how Christ really sees us, we can live from that point of strength. Not living always hoping that we're okay hoping that we have salvation. Living in fear as a Christian. Living in fear of condemnation for not doing things right as a Christian. But living in relationship, understanding it's a loving Father. And having that amazing, that's what, that's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, so maybe we get that as a concept, but how does that become cellular? How does that how do I begin to live from that point? And all I can say is we've got to soak in this thing. We have got to soak in it. We soak in the, world, the world's kingdom all week long. We, we listen to the news. We you know, hear what other people say. We hear people's opinions. We soak in the world all week long, all our lives long. But how do we, how do we make the reality of, the, of God's kingdom? You know, so we tend to live from our from what we expose ourselves to, that, you know, the world is in us. And how do, we, how do we change that? We change that by soaking in the kingdom of God. And, of course, the kingdom of God is the word of God. He's put his kingdom in his word. The very life of God is in his word. So if we soak our minds in that word, soak it so that it becomes second nature to us. So we start living from that place. This is what we're calling and challenging us to live from God's nature and character. Stop being impressed with the size of our problems and get impressed by the size of our God. Live aware of who he is and what he is like and what he has done. Your mind can be insulated and anchored by the knowledge of God that you have in your mind. His word, his works, his ways. The word was made flesh in John chapter 1. He spoke the word. He talks about the word that I have spoken, they are life and they are spirit. His ambition for us is for his word to become flesh in us so people can see what that looks like. The work which the church has failed to do in a time of peace and prayer, prosperity, she will have to do in a terrible crisis under most discouraging, forbidding. There is a work for us to do. There is a job for us to do. But I would have to say that this work begins in taking the time to 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 um, soak in the Spirit of God. We're going to need a much more powerful experience and much stronger faith in God in order to accomplish and overcome the problems that we see in taking the gospel to the world than we have now. In other words, right now, if we took 
the church in North America and, plant, and spread them throughout the whole world probably wouldn't change much. Maybe some cultural things would change, but do we really have the power to impact the world as the disciples did in the day of Pentecost? No, in general, but it's available. We don't have to wait for some distant time when God decides to flip the switch and pour out the latter rain power. We can have that power today. You just got to go for it. Go after it. Go after him. Claim the promise. I claim the promise all the time. Lord, you will guide me into all truth. Guide me into this experience with you that is nothing that I've ever experienced before. Because in the Bible, it says I can have it. It says that it's there. Jesus said, greater things than I do, you will do. That's been done. That's been, we have that example, Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 5 was when be wondering, okay, what is that example? You know, Jesus would go and lay hands on people and they would raise and be healed. Acts chapter 5, they lay people in the streets so when Peter's shadow passed over them, they would be healed. Acts chapter 19, they would take the sweatpants and pieces of clothing from Paul, send it to somebody that was sick, they would be healed. possible it's possible okay all right let's be hopeful and courageous I'm gonna wrap this up despondency in God's service is sinful and unreasonable he knows our every necessity this is so amazing to the omnipotence of the king of kings the rules of the universe our covenant keeping God unites the gentleness and care of the tender shepherd. His power is absolute. And his power is the pledge of the sure fulfillment of his promises to all who trust in him. He has means for the removal of every difficulty that those who serve him and respect the means he employs may be sustained. His love is as far above all other love as the heavens are above the earth. He watches over his children with a love that is measureless and everlasting. Okay. And I want to close with this last quote. As those who have been cleansed and sanctified through a knowledge of Bible truth, engage heartily in the work of soul saving. They will become indeed a savor of life unto life. And as daily they drink of the inexhaustible fountain of grace and knowledge, they will find that their own hearts are filled to overflowing with the spirit of their master. This is what I'm, this is why I'm making this challenge to you. I'm offering this challenge to anybody that chooses to accept it is because of this. As they daily drink of the fountain, this is the Bible, the word, spending time with Christ, they will find that their own hearts this is what I want to see in my church family. This is what I want us to experience. Their own hearts will be, will be filled to overflowing with God's Spirit. It's one thing to try to witness to others when we're dry. It's another thing to witness to others when we're so filled that it just spills over into other people's lives. And so, this is my challenge and... I'm going to challenge myself. Last year, David Ashrick did a 100-day challenge, 100 days to read all five of the Conflict of the Ages series, Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, Desire of Ages, Acts of the Apostles, and Great Controversy. I was doing good until I got to Desire of Ages. It was so good, I just couldn't speed read that thing. <laughs> but maybe this week we could read the entire Patriarchs and Prophets. In one week. If we have two and a half hours per day, maybe possible. I don't know. I don't know how God's going to lead you. Claim that promise. He will guide us into all truth. But let's go deeper. Let's use this time that Satan tried to discourage us with 
and let's just go after this. Let's make it a priority. You say, well, I don't have the time. We have time for, to do the things we want to do. Let's make this a priority. Intentional. See what God does. Thank you.